Good morning, church. So, 10 years ago, on New Year's Eve, this New Englander and his family rolled out of their driveway in, in Cape Cod. We left our home in Cape Cod and we made our journey down here to New York, where we've found a new home. And we've been here 10 years. My wife reminded me of that this morning. Uh, and we are so glad to be here and to be a part of this body and to be serving. This New Year's Eve, uh, one of our own, Will Croft, made a journey of his own, and he has gone home to be with the Lord. Uh, on New Year's Eve, Lee got the call around 11, and uh, he is with the Lord now, and so we can rejoice knowing that his suffering is over. But the family needs our prayers. Uh, Lee, I know you're watching uh, at home, and you're with your two daughters, and your son's coming tomorrow. Uh, so know that our hearts are with you. And I'd like to say a special prayer for the Croft family now. So church, join me as we pray and lift up uh, Lee and her family. Lord Jesus, we, we thank you that Will is with you now and that his suffering is over. We thank you that absence from the body is presence with the Lord. And we thank you now that uh, Will is in your very presence. That doesn't mean that it doesn't hurt and that our hearts don't ache because we've, we've lost one that, that we love. But we, we celebrate and, and we are thankful that we don't mourn or grieve as those without hope. For we know that we will see Will again when we see you again. And we'll be together in glory, worshiping you, Jesus, in your very presence. So we long for that day when we'll be reunited with Will and so many others that have gone before us uh, in, in that great uh, throng around uh, the throne in heaven. Father, we do pray for your comfort for Lee and her family, for their children. God, give them the, the peace of Christ to guard their hearts in this time. God, we love you, and we thank you for your goodness to us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Well, it's a new year. How many of you are thankful for 2021 to have been passed and now we're on to 2022? Only the Lord knows what, what, is, what lies ahead for us. Isn't that true? This is a time of year when many reflect back on the year that was and they look forward with hopefulness to all the possibilities of a new year to come. It's also a time when many people make resolutions. Who here has made a resolution this year? Anyone? Yeah, we've got a few resolutions. Determining to do or to not do certain things. You want to eat better. You want to exercise more. You want to read more. My brother, he used to own a gym in Colorado. It was sort of like a CrossFit kind of thing, uh, only it, it was his own deal. Uh, and he would remind me that January was the busiest time of the year for his gym. And it was the same with other gyms. His gym was filled with people determined to improve their lives through fitness. But the true test of their determination was 
whether they were still there in February. The parking lot was a little less full in February. What about us, church? What do we hope to be more or less of in this new year? In one place in our vision statement, we express the desire to be a gospel-shaped church with a passion for God and compassion for people. And I want us to think about what it means to have a passion for God. Are you passionate for God today? What evidence would you give to suggest so? Do you have a desire to become more passionate for God? Do you have a holy discontent for the current temperature of your own heart towards God? Do you want more of Him? What if you don't? What does that mean? As your pastor, I can tell you that the one thing that would cheer my heart the most in this new year is to know that your love for God is growing stronger and more vibrant and stronger than it was at the end of this coming year, or at the beginning than at the end. Um, In our text today, the Apostle Paul urges the Philippian church to follow his example as he presses on to know and to love Christ more deeply. And how might we, too, follow Paul's example? How might we, or what might it look like for us in 2022 to press on as Paul did? I invite you to grab your Bibles now. Turn with me to Philippians 3. We're going to read from verse 12 through chapter 4, verse 1. You can find this if you're using our Pew Bibles on page 1166. And I invite you to stand with me, if you are able, out of respect for God's Word, and follow along with me as I read. Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory, and they glory in their shame. With minds set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, 
who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I long, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is powerful and effective, sharper than any two-edged sword, the word tells us, dividing between soul and spirit, joints and marrow. Father, we pray that you would, your word would divide our hearts and you would help me to divide your word faithfully and carefully. Father, may your spirit be our teacher this morning as we look into your word together. Father, may we come away from your word looking that much more like your son, Jesus. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So I've got three points today, pressing on. What does this mean? And we'll look at two different sides of this coin of of pressing on. And then our last two points will be uh, forgetting the past and straining forward toward the goal pressing on. There's something very interesting here about the verb that Paul uses for press on in verses 12 and 14, and it's this. It's the same verb that he uses in verse 6. So if you look up just a little bit, we didn't read that this morning, but in verse 6 he recounts how before he was a Christian he was a persecutor of the church. And Paul is using that same verb Press on and persecutor. It's the same word. That word translated persecutor uh, is the same word, and it's, it's really interesting. So what does that mean? This Greek word, dioko, means to earnestly or eagerly follow. But more than that, it literally means to pound or to beat. It's, it conveys this meaning of intensity of intensity. Before Paul was a Christian, he was a zealous persecutor of the church. He, it, was, it was his goal to pound or to beat the church toward the goal of destroying it. But now, Paul is gathering his whole life, his whole self, and he's pounding it and pushing it even forcefully toward the goal of knowing Christ more. Light is an interesting thing. It just kind of goes everywhere, right? We turn the lights on in a room and it lights up the whole room. It just goes everywhere. But if you can focus it, if you can focus it into a fine point, it is extremely powerful. As a kid, uh, I wear contacts now, but as a kid, I, I had very thick glasses. My kids got that from me. If you notice, I think all of my kids but one need glasses. Um, so you're welcome, kids, for that. Uh, but as a kid with my thick glasses, I learned at a young age that I could use my glasses and I could focus the light from the sun 
And I could actually burn things with my glass. I'd burn my name and wood. I could light leaves on fire. Uh, It was like a superpower as a kid. You're like, this is pretty cool. But when you focus light into a fine point, when you harness it all together, and you focus it toward one single thing, it's powerful. And this is what Paul means by pressing on. Focusing your life with such intensity toward one thing, toward one goal. Some people are passive about their Christian faith. They will say that they're Christians, but it's really a private thing. It's really just between me and God. I don't talk about it openly. I'm not that kind of Christian. This is how some in our government want us to view our faith. You worship how you want in your own home or inside the walls of that little church building of yours, but as soon as you step out, then you've got to check that at the door. That should not influence how you live your life in public or have any bearing on public policy or society. Others are casual about their Christian faith. Maybe they were born into a Christian family and grew up going to church But today, they only go occasionally or when it's convenient or it's Christmas or Easter. But in reality, it's not really something that they take very seriously. It's just one of a number of things that they could do on a Sunday. And these ways of thinking and viewing Christianity, it, uh, it just sees our faith as, as one of many things that make up who we are. But Paul says no. He says no. To be a Christian is to gather up your whole life and to focus it intensely towards something. The great American pastor and theologian Jonathan Edwards once wrote out 70 resolutions he did this as a young pastor in New York City. He was only 18 at the time. He was pastoring a small church in New York City. And when he was 18, he began writing them. And here's one of them. He says, Resolved to endeavor to obtain for myself as much happiness in the other world as I possibly can with all the power might, vigor, and vehemence, yea, violence, I am capable of or can bring myself to exert in any way that can be thought of. What a resolution, huh? So Paul and Edwards, this is what they're after. It's what drives them. But what drives them? What drives them so vigorously? So let me tackle the motive piece of this first. Uh, Look with me at the rest of verse 12. Paul says, I press on to make it my own, or literally to take hold of, to grasp it, to take hold of it. I press on to make it my own, to grasp it, because, because Christ Jesus has made me his own, or he has grasped me, he has taken hold of me. And so Paul says, because of that, This is what I do. Paul is thinking here about his conversion when he first encountered the gospel of Jesus and he was transformed. 
because of that, because he was seized by such intensity, he is now intense himself in his pursuit of Christ. Paul and Edwards are so intense because something first happened to them. Something first happened to them. When Paul encounters the risen Lord Jesus on the road to Damascus, he was not seeking Jesus. He was not looking for him because he wanted to know him. He wanted to persecute his church. (coughs) Excuse me. He wanted to persecute his church. He wanted to put Christians in jail. But the Lord encountered him. Something happened to him. And he was converted. In January 2021, about a year ago, a man by the name of Stephen Lungu died. He was age 78. You may not be familiar with Stephen Lungu. He was an evangelist called the Billy Graham of Africa. Before he was a Christian, he was, an, he was a violent gang leader and eventually became a Marxist. Lungu became a Christian at an evangelistic tent meeting. But he didn't go there to hear the preacher. He went there with his Marxist gang with the intent of bombing it and shooting up everybody at the tent meeting. And he goes there, he, he says to his, his group, he says, when I blow my whistle, that's when you throw your bombs in and start shooting. And at the last minute, he says to his, his group, he says, you know what, we're going to go inside and just listen for two minutes only. And he goes inside and he listens, and that's all it took for the gospel to penetrate his heart, for the Holy Spirit to open his heart. The gospel penetrated Lungu's heart, and he walked away, or not walked away, he walked right to the front of that tent meeting with all his guns hanging off his body, all his weapons, and gave his life to Christ. Something happened to him. The risen Christ opened his heart, and he gave his life to him. And that's the thing that makes Christianity so unique. It's not something that you first take up. It's something that first takes you up. Following Christ is not something that starts with you. It's something that starts upon you. This is so important because we live in a culture where self-determination courses through our veins. If you want to improve or change your life, it always starts with you and our culture of self-improvement. But Christianity takes this thinking and it turns completely upside down. No one makes themselves a Christian. Jesus says as much in John 6, 44. No one can come to me, get that? No one can come to me unless the Father draws him. Something happens to you first. Paul here is saying that I press on to grasp because I have been grasped by Jesus. When you were dead in your sin and wanting nothing to do with God, Jesus died and rose again to forgive your sin. And it is he who breathes life into your once spiritually dead heart. And then you run to him, uniting yourself to 
him by faith. With great intensity, Jesus takes hold of us. And then, with our own intensity, we we focus our lives toward knowing Christ more, toward loving Christ more, toward living for Christ more. We want to know this person who's grasped us. We want to know him, love him, and live for him. And this is how Paul puts it in verses 10 through 11 earlier in our chapter. Just look up a little bit. But he says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. To know Christ, to be more like Christ, to identify with Christ, to be with Christ. This is what Paul presses on for with such great intensity. To be with Christ is the prize that the upward call of God brings us to. Now Paul will describe how he presses on, and it's really two sides of one coin. First, he forgets the past. (coughs) Excuse me. One thing I do, Paul says, Forgetting what lies behind us, or forgetting what lies behind, is the first thing. Uh, But what what about the past? Is Paul trying to forget? What is he committed to forgetting? A couple things. First, I think he's committed to putting no weight in anything that previously, before he came to know Christ, he's committed to putting no weight in anything that gave him significance. Before he came to Christ, he puts it this way in verse 7 But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. What is it that gave you significance before you came to know Christ? Was it a career? Was it your education? Was it your bank account? The car you drive? Was it your popularity? Forget it. Choose not to put weight in it. Choose not to be defined by that. You're defined by something different now. In 1 Timothy 1.15, Paul reminds Timothy by saying, uh, this is a, a trustworthy saying and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners in the form of most. This is the second thing we should forget. We need to forget our failures. Paul was well aware of his failures to call himself the, the chiefest of sinners, the foremost of sinners. But Paul didn't allow his past failures to keep him from pressing on. Instead, when viewed against the backdrop of the sheer grace of God, they motivated Paul. They motivated Paul. But the point is that you can't allow your past failures to keep you from present and future faithfulness. 
You can't allow your past failures to keep you from present and future faithfulness. Maybe you've messed up big in the past. Maybe it's a broken relationship or a, a crippling addiction. Maybe like Paul, you've hated Jesus and his church. Don't allow your past failures to keep you from present and future faithfulness. Instead, place them against the backdrop of God's grace and be amazed and motivated to press on. Charles Spurgeon once said, God forgives sinners not because they're good, but because he is good. And we can see the goodness of God against the backdrop of our failures when we, we juxtapose the two. We didn't earn it. And we know we don't deserve it, but he gave it to us anyway because he is good. Meditate on that. And the next time your enemy, the devil, tries to dig up your past failures to discourage you, remember the grace of God. Remember that you're not a Christian because you're good enough. You're, you're a Christian because God is good enough. One last thing to forget, <clears throat> not just your past failures, or, but also your past victories. God may have used you or this church in amazing ways in the past, and for that we're thankful. And it's not that you shouldn't be thankful for, uh, we, we don't want to literally put it out of our memory in the sense that we can't remember it or recall it. The idea is that it's good to honor the past, but you can't live there. You can't live there. You should forget about your past victories in the sense that you shouldn't dwell there and just seek to relive the glory days. If only we could get back to fill in the blank. If only we could do fill in the blank. Those things were great. But that can be a threat to pressing on and seeing what new things God wants to do through you and through our church. So don't dwell on the past, even the victories. Don't live, don't relive the glory days. Let's forget that and press on for what new things God wants to do here. Remember Jesus' words in Luke 9, 62. He said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. So join Paul and forgetting what lies behind. And notice that this is an ongoing activity. It's not something you do once. It's something that continues. We constantly are forgetting what lies behind. Forgetting our failures, forgetting the victories, forgetting our previous confidences. <clears throat> this brings us to our last point. Straining. Straining forward. Do you know what Super Bowl ring Tom Brady says is his favorite? He was asked that one time. You know what his answer was? The next one. The next one. In his football career, he, he chooses not to dwell on the past, but is straining for the next goal. This is such a good picture of the Christian life because we're choosing not to dwell on the past, but we're straining forward to what lies ahead. And it's even better than Tom Brady's goals because his goals don't always come to fruition. The Giants taught him that. 
twice. But our goal is a guarantee. Our goal is a guarantee. Jesus will return one day and we will be with him on the new heavens and on the new earth. You can take that to the bank. It's as good as done because God promised it and God never lies. But now we live in the in-between. We strain forward. The word straining means to exert oneself to the uttermost. To exert oneself to the uttermost. <clears throat> in 1 Corinthians 9.24, Paul tells the Corinthian church to run in such a way as to win. He says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run. Run that you may obtain it. The writer of Hebrews picks up on this running metaphor, and he tells us to lay aside every weight and sin so that we may run with endurance, with our eyes fixed on Jesus. Whatever's going to hold you down. I know Olympic swimmers, you know, they, they just want to be as streamlined as possible. They shave all their body hair off, of course. They have these slick caps that they put on. Because any kind of drag that's going to uh, impede their, their speed, it, it, could be, it could be a millisecond, right? They need everything that they can muster to the uttermost. This is what this means. So how do we do this? We seize every opportunity. Every opportunity we have to grow in our knowledge and our love for Jesus. You're a follower of Jesus, but you haven't been baptized? Seize it. Strain forward toward it. Pursue it. Are you a follower of Jesus who uh, is, is less than casual with your time in the Word? Seize it. Strain forward. We've made available, I think they're all gone now, sorry, uh, Bible reading plans out on the information count, uh, counter there. But if you have a smartphone, it's just a few taps away. There's so many reading plans out there that will help you get into God's Word. I'd be happy to help you find one. Maybe you're, you're thinking, you know, I, I know about Christ. I know of Him. But maybe you're that casual Christian I talked about earlier. Take advantage of, of, of straining forward, of pressing on. Attend a class like Christianity Explored. starts next week. Uh, that's a great way to learn more about the Christian faith. And for those of you who feel like that might be uh, elementary to you, do it anyway, because it'll help you better be able to share your faith with others. It'll give you new ideas for how to share and how to have conversations with people. <clears throat> do you consider this your church, but you never, you've never made a commitment to it by becoming a member? Seize it. Strain forward. We have a membership class starting next week. And I'd be happy to have you there. And that doesn't commit you to anything. You're just learning more. Learn more about why it's important to be a member. Another line in our vision statement says that we will become a disciple-making church. And this is what 
Paul has in view here in verse 17. He says, brothers, join in imitating me. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. We don't run alone. We don't press on alone. We don't strive alone. We run together. Are your affections for Jesus cool or lukewarm? Seek out another brother or sister, someone in Christ, and and commit to reading the Bible together. It can be just as simple as that. Getting together with another brother or sister in Christ, reading the Bible together, praying together. I envision in our church all over groups of twos and threes meeting together regularly, pressing on together, straining forward together, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Pray about this and think about it. Think about someone whose faith is worth imitating and ask them to do this with you. Maybe you're here today and you're not sure about any of this. It seems a little extreme. Maybe it's too intense. This is you. I want you to consider this. Paul says here that there's only two ways to live. First, some walk as enemies of Christ. Paul says their God is their belly, meaning that they chase after and live for whatever it is that they're desiring in the moment. It's running after whatever it is that, that strikes their fancy in the moment, whether it's something that makes you comfortable, gives you power, sex, wealth, fame, pleasure, popularity. These are the things our world lives for. If it feels good, do it. And don't judge me for it. That's our world. Paul says, their minds are set on earthly things with no thought of the world to come. No thought. Paul says, if you walk this way, if you follow this path, it leads to destruction. That's one way to live. The second way to live is to walk according to Paul's example. Here's the thing. Everyone starts out in life walking that first path I just described because everyone starts out as a slave to sin before Jesus gets a hold of them, before Jesus grasps you. When Jesus gets a hold of you, there's no other way to live than to get off that first path that leads to destruction and get on the path that leads to life. There's no other way to live. Jesus, trust him. Trust him to forgive you and press on to know him more and more. This is the other way to live. And it leads to life, not destruction. And that's it. There's no third option. There's no tears I'll take tier one. Two seems a little too intense for me. There's no, there's just two. 
There's one with your eyes on the world and there's one with your eyes on what's to come in Christ. I pray that if Jesus hasn't gotten hold of you and you're here today or listening online, I pray that he does today and that you would respond by receiving his forgiveness and then join with his church, imitating those who follow him, pressing on to know him more every day, forgetting what lies behind, straining toward what lies ahead. Because our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you have grasped us who are in Christ, that we are your children by faith, that we've been born again, that our hearts have been made new. God, help us to respond in like, in, in kind, with such veracity and intensity, focusing, gathering up all of our lives, all of ourself, and focusing it toward a single point for knowing you, making you known. God, we love you. We thank you for the gift of your son. And God, we pray that others too may know the gift of your son. Help us, Lord, as we seek to become a gospel-centered, a gospel-shaped church with a passion for God and compassion for people. As we seek to become a disciple-making church that cultivates a heart for evangelism. Work in our midst, Lord. Stir in our hearts. Remind us of the grace that we've been, sh- that we've been given, uh, that we've been shown in Christ. Help us to forget the past, the victories, the failures, and help us to press on, to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus has taken hold of us. Amen.